0: Hey, Senda.
1: Hey, Phil.
0: Um, how do I get my next clue?
1: Well, if you go over the river and through the woods to Grandmother's house, you might find out about her wolf ears.
0: Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am your host, Phil, who is dodging snow bands north and south.
1: And I am your other host, Senda, who has beautiful blue skies, but many much snow on the ground.
0: Let me just say that there's like six feet of snow to the south of me. (laughs) <laughs>
1: I'm really like glad a I'm foot of blowing snow me.
0: in around me. And I don't know how much the, I don't know how much Niagara Falls got. Um, it couldn't have been that much. Cause I don't think that band um, What you call it. I don't think that band's been up there that long. Anyway, uh, based on the timing of this recording um, that big winter storm is hitting Western New York. And if you're uh, lucky, like uh, Bob and I, uh, we live above what is called the snow line. There is an imaginary line through Buffalo. Every Buffalonian knows where it is. Um, And if you are above the snow line, when these snow events happen, it's usually not so bad. If you live below the snow line, like Chris, like maybe you will get to your house or out of it. Like, I don't even think you can drive in South Buffalo right now. I'm pretty sure it still has a total driving band. Um, So, yeah, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, I'm uh, hunkered down at home. I just finished two and a half hours of cleaning, so that was fun. <laughs> wow. But I do have I do have some I do have some fun stuff to do later tonight. We'll talk about it in the bamboo lounge. But we are here to talk about clues. And before we do that, can you um give a quick little announcement?
1: Yeah, this is just a quick reminder. We are doing this episode. We are recording on November nineteenth. Uh, we will not be recording the week of Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. So that means we will not be recording next weekend. Which means that you will not have an episode next week, which is uh, the Wednesday after this Wednesday. Which um, I did not look up before I started I have it. saying hang this. On. Sweet, hang it on. Is... <laughs> you will not this have show an episode. Drops.
0: This show drops on November 23rd right before Thanksgiving. Correct. So yes. you'll hear this one. You will not have an episode on November 30th. That yes. is um that is the week that the weekend of Thanksgiving where we will not be recording so you will not get an episode on the 30th. We will return on December 7th.
1: Yes. And at when that When we point, return Yes, or shortly thereafter, we will know what our holiday hiatus schedule looks like and we will let you know when we will be missing episodes in there for additional holidays. Correct.
0: Uh, if I'm if I'm feeling it out correctly, my guess is the 7th might be our last one for the year and that we will take the 14th, the 21st and the 28th. Maybe we'll do one on the 14th. Maybe that now that I'm looking at it, let me take that back. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm like I feel my like guess- we might do the 14th.
0: Add ad-libbing right here. If we yeah. do the 14th, we take the twenty. So we take the 21st, the 28th and the 4th off because um, Saturday is New Year's Eve. Yes. Um, so we take those three weeks off and we would return on the 11th of January.
1: Yeah, that's probably what will happen. We will continue to announce that and confirm for you. (laughs) We'll confirm all of that.
0: But just having a little business meeting right here at the beginning of the show, um, (laughs) that's what it's looking like. But we often, so if you're a new listener to the show, um, we often take a few weeks off in December as we get close to the holidays so that we have um, time to do holiday things. Uh, family things and other events and things like that. Um, Also, it just gives us a break from recording uh, through the year. We record almost every week uh, during the year with a week off here and there for vacations and stuff like that. So we like a little downtime, recharge the batteries and, you know, relax, drink some eggnog.
1: Or hot chocolate. Yeah, if you're snowed in. Hot (laughs) chocolate, eggnog.
0: Yeah. So anyway, we'll um, we'll announce that uh, in more detail when we get back on the 7th. But my guess is you get us on the 7th, you get us on the 14th and then you'll get us in 2023.
1: Yep. Yeah. Cool. We will confirm. So anyway, all of that out of the way, um, we will see you this week, not next week. And for today's episode, jumping right in. Paige asked us by email when you're running a mystery game, what you can you do to dole out clues without railroading?
0: yeah, good question
1: right um, super good question it not only
0: not only is a good question, but Paige, your timing is fantastic. uh right now, Senda and I are both playing different mystery games.
1: It's true. what are you playing phil?
0: so I have been uh I'm on the tail end of running. A year plus long Knights Black Agents campaign. So, in the Gumshoe system, which is specifically designed for mysteries, so there are like that whole that whole um, rule set is designed for telling and discovering mysteries. We'll talk about some of the reasons why that is when we get into our discussion. Uh, But yeah, that's been going on for uh, just over a year, and we'll come to conclusion probably early January based because we'll wind up hitting our own holiday schedule for our campaign group. And I don't quite think we're going to have enough sessions um, before then, but I'm really close to putting a wrap on that campaign. Senda, what are you playing?
1: Yeah, I am currently playing Brindlewood Bay, um, which is kind of a, it's again, a game created specifically to run mysteries. Um, and it is uh Knight's Black Agents, a little bit more action-oriented. Um, Brindlewood Bay, a little bit more Murder, She Wrote-style mysteries. Yes. Um, lots of coziness, lots of um, older retired ladies thumbing their noses at uh, local law enforcement who is just not quite bright enough to catch on to what's going on. Um, and then a deeper mystery of eldritch horror kind of um, underlying everything, underlying these, these sort of cuter mysteries on top. Um, Very cool system. Yeah, it's actually a
0: cozy mystery, right?
1: It is a cozy mystery. And you have cozy Cozy stories. Cozy mystery. Cozy mysteries and a book club. Like, oh, it's great. And written, (laughs) um,
0: actually written by a friend of ours, Jason Cordova.
1: Yes. Um, Great, great game. Great system. Absolutely enjoying it. 100% will run again.
0: I also need to say, let me back up and say again, Knights, Black Agents... Written by a friend of ours.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Uh, And actually for full disclosure, for full disclosure. um, Yes, I am playing Knights Black Agents, um, but I was also um, one of the contributors to the Dracula Dossier, um, which is uh, the big supplement for Knights Black Agents. I'm actually not using Dracula's uh, Dossier. I'm actually uh, rolled my own vampires, but just in full disclosure, um, while I do love Night's Black Agents, I am also, I've also contributed to that yeah, product You also line.
1: have writing credits on it. So you are very, very familiar with it. And um, the FBI I some- probably has you on their search list or like watch list because of the searches you did for I'm them. happy to tell
0: that story in the Bamboo Lounge. <laughs> okay. Um, I will also... Um, Yes, and as Ken has often told me, I have like one. I think it's like twenty sixth of an any for for that right, uh, right
1: for that book. (laughs) Yes, it's okay. You have other anys. Okay, I have
0: other anys. I'm I'm okay. I have other anys, but it's very. He's very generous because I was like, congratulations on the He's like our any, and I'm like, "Mm, Mm. I think by word count, mostly (laughs) your any, right? Like, (laughs)
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. That is So that's what we're playing right now, um, which is why the timing yeah. of this question um, in this moment is actually super duper good um, because it gives us the opportunity to discuss it sort of from the perspective of both a... Um, a traditional game system trying to run Mysteries and then these two systems that we're currently playing in, both of which were actually built specifically for the purpose of running Mysteries because, um, you know, this kind of stuff changes basically based on the mechanics that you are currently working with, right?
0: Yeah. And that's so that's not to say you need a specific type of game or a specific rule set to play a mystery. Mysteries have been part of RPGs for a long, long time. Different games have different mechanisms um, for using them. And you can drop a mystery into literally any game. Absolutely. What when we get into talking about this in a little more detail, you'll see where when we show some of the examples, you'll see where these games that are designed for mysteries Mm-hmm. Uh, take care of some of the challenges that GMs have had in the past in running mysteries.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yep. That's, so. I think that's really why I wanted to mention it. Right. Yeah. Easy.
0: And it's, you know, it's a thing. Like, you can definitely do it. Like, you just take D&D, you want to run a mystery in it? No problem. Sure. Absolutely. Bam. You can run right. a mystery. Will you run into a few challenges when you do it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And you could steal some ideas from the, yes. the games that we're talking about to actually make that easier.
1: Yeah, because really what we're saying is D&D hasn't sat down and necessarily thought through what mechanics would make an e- a mystery easier because that wasn't their focus. So exactly. steal the steal mechanics liberally from games who literally sat down and said, we know this is a mystery. How do we make this a better yep. GMing and better play experience to feel like a mystery and have less of the problems that you can run into mechanically for a game that didn't sit down with that specific intention yeah. yes good
0: okay that all said let's talk about um what a mystery is mm-hmm. um, because this will actually play into understanding um page's page's original question it'll also inform some things about uh how the games that we're that we're playing how they address parts of this yes Would do you mind if I do this? Just crack open this little like it's like a little definition-y, right? Like it's kind of do a
1: definition panda moment. There's another one for you later. I'm just saving them for you. (laughs) So
0: there are four parts to a mystery. The there is what happened. It's probably technically five. There's something happened, which is what like in TV, Mm -hmm. often we get to see this, right? We get to like see the murder happen, right? Not that the protagonists have seen it, but we see what has happened. In role-playing, I refer to this as the what's going on document where Mm -hmm. I will write uh, out. Now, we'll talk about this a little more in detail. I'm writing a prepped mystery where the mystery is a known thing to be discovered. So I will, in the what happened part, I will write out uh, everything that has happened. Who did it? Where the body's found that kind of stuff. Then there's an inciting incident. Um, the inciting incident is like how the players get involved with the mystery. Now, depending on the game you're playing, they could be that inciting incident could be really close to the what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, you're at a party, the lights go out, there's a scream, the lights come back on, there's a body on the floor,
1: someone's dead, right? Yep.
0: someone's dead. Inciting incident, mystery time, um, or it could be the case where the mystery is ancient. Something happened ten thousand years ago, and these uh, archaeologists are going through a tomb trying to discover what happened in order to disarm a trap, find a treasure, something, something like that. The what happened was a long time ago. Then the inciting incident occurs when the players come onto the uh, scene to find um, clues, which is our next thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Number three, yes. <laughs> after the
0: inciting incident, there is clue acquisition mm-hmm. a clue acquisition is when the characters go about finding and collecting clues, whether the clues are in one spot, many spots, whether they um require having to go back to the lab or to run some sort of analysis or whether they are using their senses and picking up the clues directly, whether they're researching things in a library, clue acquisition. Is finding the clues that help lead to the, la- the next part, which is solving the mystery. So at some point, when the players have a critical mass of clues, they will uh, work to solve the mystery. That is, uncover what had happened, right? That the top part had uncover what had happened by the use of their clues. Mm-hmm. They will come to, um, they will create a theory about what happened, and the clues are to support that theory.
1: Yes, and to give them the There is a fingerprint
0: on the bullet casing, right? That fingerprint matches this person, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, that's how they can piece together the what had happened.
0: Right, now solving the mystery... What had happened was... (laughs) um, Solving the mystery leads to the final step, which is taking action. So at some point, once the player's believe they understand the mystery it then usually informs something that needs to be done now it could just be as simply it could be as simple as just telling the police the murderer is dot Mm dot dot and then they're handcuffed and taken away Um, if you're playing Knights black agents that taking action might be uh, the mystery might be to find the location of this vampire banker in order to go murder him Right. Mm-hmm. And so once you have solved the mystery of where the vamp- vampire banker is, then the next phase of the game, the taking action part becomes kinetic, where the players um, now switch from investigating to murdering, um, action which is to
1: action, to action.
0: <laughs> I like that you say action, but it's <laughs> Night's nice Black Agents. murder so is all murdering. A, <laughs> OK. No, nah, it's not really. I got to say my players were actually really good. A lot of they ran a number of ops that were um, they ran one op that took like. A good chunk, like a chunk of the campaign that led with like had was zero bloodshed. It
1: there was a break in. See, like, action. It,
0: it was a it was a break in and a data heist off a computer. And then there are other ones where like they blew up a laboratory in the middle of Poland um, and set off like a national terror alert. So you get to pick and choose you know. when you play. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. So really quick. What, what happened? Inciting incident. Clue acquisition. Solving the mystery and taking action. Yes. We're going to focus, before we loop back to Paige's question, we're going to focus on clue acquisition and solving the mystery. Because what had happened, the inciting incident and taking action, those are pretty generic. Yes. most You can do those in most games without any rule modification whatsoever. Yes. Clue acquisition and solving the mystery is kind of the the good piece like the pieces you want to work on to make this um, to make this enjoyable
1: I mean really I would almost say those are the the piece the two pieces that distinguish running a mystery game from running a game that's any other kind of story because you're gonna yeah, have a, what had happened and inciting incident and what they do about it even if it's not a mystery right like something happens that makes the players take action and then they do a thing about it but the thing that distinguishes a mystery is that they have to figure stuff out first and they have to then take the stuff that they figured out and use it to solve the what happened, right? Because you're not giving it to them. So I think the reason we zoom in on this is actually because these are the two functions that specifically define a mystery from any other game that you might run.
0: Excellent. Excellent and astute point. My fabulous co-host.
1: Good so let's talk about clue acquisition then cuz that's where we're going to start right of the of these yep, two the yep. first ones right so in a classic game so uh we do tend to default to to sort of a d20 when we talk about classic um but that style of game where um you know you approach something there is a skill check of some variety to see if you can acquire the clue that you are after, right? You go into the laboratory and you roll a search or you roll a perception, right? Do you get the clue? And that's, that's the question that you're answering with that particular dice roll. Will you acquire this clue? And um, the problem of course with this, or not really the problem, but the potential difficulty with this as a mechanical style for mysteries is what happens if you don't get that particular clue? right? Like, what if I you mean, fail when you the put check? It up? <laughs> what
0: if you fail the check?
1: Yeah. Correct. What if you fail the check? And from from the perspective of a mystery, um, if you have a prepared mystery, a foregone, you know, known um, thing that had happened that your players have to discover, are they going to be able to, to to figure that out and solve it Without the clue that they just failed to get, right? So this is mechanically um, one of the problems or one of the difficulties um, that games that are more specifically geared for mysteries have mechanically worked to solve, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. This and and this is um, I guess by way of segue, this is how the Gumshoe system, which is the system that powers and bike uh, agents, that's how the Gumshoe system got made. Yeah. Was because of this classic conundrum of, okay, make a roll to find the clue. Oh, you failed the roll. Now yeah. what do we game, do with the game? Game
1: grinds to a halt. <laughs> 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 right. Someone else try the same check again. Oh, you failed too. Okay, what's what's your search bonus? You try searching. Right. Everybody just keeps searching the lab until someone finds it. You know. <laughs>
0: Which leads to yes. how Knights Black Agents deals yes. with clues. So yeah. if I can. Um, yes, please do. So in Knights, Black Agents, there are two types of clues in a mystery. There is what is called the core clue. So every scene, every site that you go to has a core clue. That core clue um, connects to the other clues. So they, they form like a spine, Right now, that spine can be branched or it can be straight, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the um, core clues lead you to the conclusion. Like, once you have collected enough of the core clues, you should be able to solve the mystery. Now, the way Knights Black okay, that's the first right core clue. And then there are bonus clues, right? There are other clues like additional information you can get that may either um, speed up the process for solving the mystery, or may just give you additional information about other things. like other, other clues are also useful, um, but they are bonus clues. they are not necessarily required to finish the mystery. So the way Knights Black agents deals with this is that it, that as long as okay, so this is in so first of all, this is in general in Knights Black agents, if your character has the skill, you get the clue. You don't roll for clues. So if you have um, a point in art history, then uh, I can tell you that this painting is a forgery. Yeah. Now, no roll. Now, that's like maybe that's our core clue, right? Mm -hmm. This painting's a forgery. Now, there may be some bonus clue that I can tell you something about the forgery. And you can spend you can spend resources in nice black agents. You can spend these um, points you have in your uh, investigative skills to get a bonus clue. So you might spend your art history point. And my bonus clue to you might be that, you know, based on um, based on the brush strokes or based on the paint used, um, you are fairly confident that this forgery was done um, by a group of Dutch art thieves that have kind of a forgery ring going. Um, And that like that information, that little bonus information might be, that might not be necessary to get through the mystery, but it may open up a thing for you to like go and make contact with them to get additional clues or something. Right. That kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So the thing is with Knights Black agents, you just get clues, right? This is how they, this is how Robin Laws solved the skill check problem was to, not have skill checks, yes, right. <laughs> best way, <laughs> like you know, best way to win fight is to not be in fight at all, right? So the best way to the best way to handle skill checks for clues is to not have skill checks for clues. You just get your clues because that's not um, that's not where the interesting part comes from. Getting clues should be easy, and we'll talk about that more in a bit. Um, but now that I've explained Night's Black Agents, talk about how you get clues in Brindlewood Bay.
1: Yeah, and I think this is probably the place that we might need to pause for just a second and talk about Explain a Explain a little bit
0: more about this game? Yeah, Go about ahead.
1: Brindlewood Bay. Um, the key thing about Brindlewood Bay being that um, where Night's Black Agent is a, is a prepped mystery, right? Um, Phil sits down. He creates the mystery. He knows where the vampire is hiding. Right. And he is he knows what core clues the players need to understand and solve that mystery. Right. So the difference with Brindlewood Bay is that it is an ad hoc mystery, meaning that as we sit down and play the game, neither we the players nor the GM knows the answer to the mystery. So what we know at that point is we know that something happened, right? Like, so we know that we found the host of the party um, dead, drowned with his head in the um, apple bobbing, you know, basin, right? At the Halloween party. We know that. And that is actually our inciting incident is that the body is found, right? Um, And then we do something about it. Um, And the reason that this is key is because um, since there is no defined um resolution to this mystery no known solution no known what had happened is a part of the game of brindlewood bay is constructing what had happened um and so the way brindlewood bay gets around the required skill check or a required or a core clue is that as you collect clues um the clues that you will use to solve the mystery are the ones that you collect. If you fail to collect a clue, then it's simply not going to be part of your theory as you solve the mystery. Um, so there are no required clues. There are no, <laughs> right? Like, these are just decisions that you basically make collectively as a table as you move through the story itself. Um and because there is not a specific end point that you are trying to achieve, you can't do it wrong and you can't miss the key clue um, or something really important because you as a table, once you've collected the clues, will determine which ones you think are important. So if you didn't collect it, it's just not important, right? So basically, the two approaches to this, the two ways to solve this problem are either don't make it a question of if you find it, or don't make anything so important that you couldn't solve the mystery without it, (laughs) right? So you can either address it from the perspective of the clues are basically interchangeable, so nothing is key to solving the mystery, or the things that are key to solving the mystery, you just get. And I think mm-hmm. that's the difference between approaches. But the reason that those approaches are different is because, like I said, Knights Black Agents is, it's a prepped mystery. You know the answer. Yes. Um, and Brindlewood Bay is an ad hoc mystery. No one knows the answer until you decide collectively what the answer is. And we will continue to talk about that as we go through things. Um, but it is a, a very different approach to playing a mystery game. Um, yeah. As we do it. So
0: I, I will just say this there's gonna be someone out there who's gonna be like, I add I add I add lib, my my knights, black agents, mysteries, whatever. It's fine. If yeah, you yeah, do, yeah. you do. But the game is designed typically for a prepped mystery. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Just just mm-hmm. gonna put that in there. I just <laughs> gotta you know, put that
1: caveat in there. Just, just gonna put that it.
0: caveat in there. Somebody out there is ad hoc in their their uh, gumshoe game and good on you, like that, that would out. be
1: me, but I, man, it would not make as much sense as yours. <laughs> like <laughs> I
0: will say this. I am a big fan. I'll just, as an aside, I'm a big fan of doing prepped mysteries because um, I like the internal consistency and in logic. So sure. I, you know, will do a, what has, what happened? And then from that, I will extrapolate the clues that you could discover, how the clues kind of link together, that kind of thing. Um, I'm very okay with that, right? Like that to me is not a flaw in a system. For mysteries, I love prepped mysteries. Um, Somewhere in the misdirected mark history, I believe um, we did a thing about ad hoc versus prepped mysteries um, and the um, pros and cons of both. very sure that was an episode
1: sometimes we chat yeah
0: or we did it i'm like like,
1: we might have done it because i feel like i remember having that conversation with you but the funny thing of course is i don't know if we had that conversation on mics right (laughs) like yeah or if we just talked about it sometime it might be in our backlog somewhere somewhere. saying that
0: allow me to um allow me to reference um oh no never mind (laughs) oh (laughs) maybe this is the one where we talked about it it? called whose clues (laughs) Nope. Um, this one is um, Mr. DeMark, 473 building a mystery. Jason Cordova. Is oh on the yeah, show, yeah, yeah! Talking you, about mysteries,
1: specifically talking about ad hoc mysteries. I think because that is the episode that I listened to Brindle where Wood he talked Bay. about Brindlewood Bay, yes. and I, I went from this game seems kind of interesting to oh heck, I am absolutely playing this game because I was like, I love everything about this, um, and I do, and I do.
0: Allow me to l- allow me to make a few more references. Yu sure. Hustle Nine has a, an episode on procedural mysteries. Sure, sure, and. Pandas Talking Games 176, Who's Clues? I
1: told you it was already called Whose Clues. We were like, what should yes. we call this episode? We should call it Whose Clues. I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. We already had one called Who's Clues. <laughs> Who's yep. Clues? Two's
0: Clues. <laughs> so it's oh, not a topic we're shy from. Um, <laughs> but anyway, getting us back on uh, track back here. Back on track. So when it, when it comes to clue acquisition... I will say this as a general rule. Clues should be easy to get. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe just core clues or whatever. But any time you are running something, if it is hard for players to get clues, your mystery will not flow well. Right? Like it will stutter. It will stall out. That kind of thing. A mystery goes much better when clues are easy to get. So easy, NBA just gives them to you um brindlewood bay gives you more than you need right uh, like, yeah you however can just, many you, you want. can just get them yeah right however many you want or don't want right collect so, as many
1: as you want to collect and when you feel that you have enough then move on yes
0: exactly so so clue acquisition easy make it easy mm-hmm. um and if you're doing a prepped if you're doing prepped game then um your core clues should lead to more clues. Now, yeah. you can choose to do that um, linear or branched. And let me give you a quick example. If you watch any episode of Law & Order... Law and order, the first half of the episode, which is the police detective part, is a linear set of clues. So the detectives find like the detectives, the inciting incident is the crime, right? The like the crime has been um, uh, reported in the detectives. Take a look. They find a clue. And you can see this. This is why I'm referencing law and order, because when when we talk about this, it's so clear. The next scene. The players that next scene, the characters are have followed the clue that they got. Mm-hmm. They talk to somebody, check something out next scene, like new clue, next scene. And that's and they do that scene after scene after scene until they capture the person and the show flips over to the lawyer part of the show. Yeah. So the Action. first part of every law and order, and it's very formulaic, so it's really easy to see, is a linear. Uh, A linear progression of clues because they basically just take the two detectives and move them from scene to scene, picking up clues till they arrest someone. Mm
1: -hmm. Now,
0: branching is giving some choices to the players in that the clues that you collect in crime scene one um, give you choices to go like to uh, location two or location three. And the players may go to two and then three. They may go to three and go to two. They may go to three and skip two and go to four. Right. Mm-hmm. It branches out. Um, and hint, page. that is one of the ways to make it feel less railroady is to use a branching clue structure yes. because it puts it puts some choice back into the players for um, where to go to get clues. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that. I'm watching a TV show on CBS made by the same producer as Law & Order um, called FBI. And in that show, they have two sets of detectives, like two sets of partners, and they will send them to different locations. And so the show bounces from each of the two like sets of characters. So they're branching through their clue acquisition.
1: The thing that's really interesting about that is that, excuse me, because Brindlewood Bay is an ad hoc mystery um, and we're just going to run around and get clues, um, inevitably our clue structure is in fact branching and it would be really difficult for us to have a linear structure. And what happens is, We hit the the mystery in our inciting incident, and then we immediately break off into groups and all run off to do different things, right? (laughs) Like, some of us move together, some of us don't. Sometimes we move together, sometimes we all go to four different places, and it creates a branching clue structure incidentally, right, Um, just by way of, like, what catches our interest next from what someone may have said, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. once you have, do, did we cover all of the clue acquisition stuff? I think we did. The we key, did, right? Keep the it easy. Key point right? here get is those, yeah, get keep those, it easy. Get the clues flowing. Get
0: those clues into get those clues into the characters' hands.
1: Pump the clues into the story. Otherwise, nothing's happening. Cool. So so once our characters have all of the clues, then we're moving on to the next step, which is actually solving the mystery, right? Um, which is something. And this is really, I think this is interesting, but I I 100% agree with you on this, right? But the actual solving of the mystery is something that is um, usually actually done by the players, not the Mm -hmm. characters, right? Like, it's really hard to do this part in character. I don't know why that is. And I'm literally playing a game where there's a move for theorizing, and we still don't really do this in character, right? It's really, for some reason, it's just hard to do this part in character. And I think it's because of the way that we're all thinking really hard um, with our player brains, right? (laughs) About like, what is going on and how can we connect this? And, you know, within the confines of the genre that we find ourselves and like what makes sense. And we're, you know, referring internally you know, we're getting referential with our previous experiences with Murder, She Wrote, or like we ended up with a mystery that we solved in such a way that was sort of a mystery on the Oriental Express kind of thing where it was like everybody did it and like all of that kind of stuff. We're referring to all these other tropes and experiences that we as players have um, mm-hmm. to to find that story trope and to make that mystery solution happen. Um But I don't know. I just I don't. It's really interesting to me because I I think that this is mostly true. I would be fascinated. Tell us about times that you've actually in character sat and like solved a mystery in in character, like really solved in character. I'm fascinated.
0: So so here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about this. Even if even if a group does a good job and stays in character for speaking.
1: Yeah, you're you're still using of the, the player brain. Is a
0: player brain? It's still right? the player right. brain. Because your solving. character, <laughs> your character does not have a brain. No, right? like so. So the thing is about mysteries is that mysteries require an analytical process. And characters don't have an analytical process, right? Their analytical process is your process. Yes. Um, <laughs> their voice is your voice, and what some what often happens is that players get so deep into the analytical part of the mystery yeah, that they you, basically run out of RAM, right? Yeah. Like, to, also to keep the doing the voice. That's right? accurate. Like,
1: that's very accurate. Right.
0: They they slip like so that part like like all processing goes to solving the mystery right and and like everything happens and like people are just talking around the table about what to do and then once it coalesces into a theory players drop back into character
1: yes i it's, it's very difficult for me to maintain both retired art teacher and also we link together all of these clues. Um, so retired art teacher tends to like get deprioritized to solving all clues. And then once solving all clues, then we can reprioritize retired art teacher.
0: And it's interesting because that is not true if you do a really dramatic scene. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, I have heard sides of brain things being debunked and, and stuff like that. But I will say from just... Anecdotal evidence, right? I can do a very dramatic scene and not break character at all, right? Yes. No matter how unrelated the drama is to my actual life,
1: one hundred percent. When
0: I'm in character, I can have a very dramatic scene. But if you ask me to do a very analytical thing or mm-hmm. tactical thing,
1: mm, yes, right, right, yep,
0: cannot stay. I cannot maintain character because everything shunts, like, I want to say to the other side of your brain, but I know that there's been a lot of things that kind of debunk that, but it happens. Like, I can't tell you the neurological reason, but it happens, and I don't think we're the only two people. Right. probably not that, that yeah have this effect Please i think tell many us your of you experiences have
1: experiences with this like
0: 100%. drop us a
1: note whatever like we're still on twitter for the moment but also we both now have mastodon accounts at dice.camp so we'll you can talk get about us there that too. in a little bit
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so yes so solving a mystery is done by players
1: yes it's done um, by players that's the key thing and
0: No, no, it's great. That was perfect, right? It was was an excellent discussion. And as a GM, you can help the players, right? Because you can offer up either um, additional uh, pieces of uh, additional clues by like making like players have checks or you can help steer their analysis by either using checks or or inspiration or whatever. Um, Or you can even just um, as a GM, Start talking to them and asking questions that helps, like, facilitate their um, solving of the mystery. But whatever it is, the players are going to do it. Now, in Knights Black Agents, this is actually the purpose, right? In Knights Black Agents, the idea is to acquire clues cheaply mm-hmm. and to move the game into players solving the mystery.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and because the mystery is a prepped mystery... Those clues should lead to a conclusion that the GM has already come up with. And I won't say that, like, you know, there hasn't been a GM, self-included, who hasn't changed the conclusion (laughs) right based on the player's analysis being like oh that actually makes more sense let me fix a thing right even
1: even better than what i came up with i mean they're an entire table of brains and you are one brain so it is okay when they come up with something better than you just take it and make it so it was good and and just make it the thing now
0: exactly but yes. ultimately, the um, you the players scoop up the the clues. They synthesize a conclusion, and then from that, they will go take action. Yeah, like go rob a thing, um, go kill a guy, uh, stake a vampire, whatever. That's NBA, and it's a pretty traditional approach. Let's talk about Brindlewood Bay, which does it yeah. completely differently completely and kind differently. of in a really awesome way.
1: I really enjoy it. And, but so again, this is where this ad hoc mystery part comes in again, because the GM does not have a pre written solution to this mystery, right? So, um, just to back us up and set us up mechanically a little bit here. Um, Each of the mysteries for Brindlewood Bay, and it comes with a bunch of them. So honestly, we've just been playing through the ones that are there. Like you could write your own if you wanted to. Um, They're not actually that difficult to write. Um, But so each mystery comes with a list of suspects, a list of clues, and like the, the thing that you find, the thing that has happened, who died, right? Who died and where do you find them? Um, so that, that, and that's pretty much all that's really in there. I'm going to admit to you, honestly, that I am not jamming this game. So I have not seen the GM materials for this, but this is all that I'm seeing as a player, right? Like there's not a ton there. Um, and each mystery has an associated difficulty. Um, so for example, a mystery might have a difficulty of seven. And what that difficulty number means um, is that If I were to try to solve the mystery right away, having done no clue acquisition whatsoever, when I moved to solve the mystery, I would take that move, and this is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, right? So I'm rolling 2d6. There is a move to solve the mystery. When I roll that move, if I have acquired no clues, I will be solving that, uh, rolling that move at a negative seven for the difficulty of the mystery, right? Um, And there is literally a move. It's called theorize. And what you do is you sit down as a table, you theorize with all your clues, and then you roll to see if you're right, right? And if you're Mm -hmm. wrong, there's a twist and you have to go find more clues and then figure out what it really is and try again, right? So this is this is how Brenda Wood Bay works. So every clue that I acquire and involve in my theory is an additional plus one to that theorize role, that mystery solving role. Um, so if I have a mystery that is a challenge rating of seven, then-
0: oh, You're about to say it. Yes, I'm about ahead. to say
1: it. Um, <laughs> if I have a mystery that is a challenge rating of seven, um, then when I have zero clues- Um, I'm rolling at a negative seven, right? For every clue that I have collected and can incorporate into my theory of what happened, I am adding one to that, right? So if I have seven clues and I include all of them and the mystery is a challenge rating of seven, I am now rolling at a zero with a plus zero. If I have enough clues that I can incorporate nine clues, now I am rolling at a plus two to solve this mystery, right? Um, So basically... The more clues you can incorporate into your theory, the better your bonus gets. But you don't have to include all the clues because some of them might be red herrings. You can just decide, right?
0: I don't know if we said this when we first talked about Knights Black Agents. Knights Black Agents, I'm sorry, not Knights Black Agents, Brindlewood Bay. Yes. Brindlewood Bay is empowered by the Apocalypse game. Yes. So the role that Send us talking about and the... Uh, how much plus you want to put on that roll. Yes. Consider that we're talking about the classic 6 minus 7 to 9 and 10 plus. Yes. Right. Sorry. Those are the
1: the tiers that we're going for. We are rolling 2d6 on a standard powered by the apocalypse move. At a negative 7, I am very unlikely to succeed because the most I can roll on those dice is a 12, and that would put me at a 4. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's yeah. like not a solvable role. But I could decide, you know, once we've collected five roll, five clues, that we can incorporate all those clues and that we want to roll right then and there at a negative two. Right. And that's like not an impossible role. It's not fantastic odds, but it's, it's like random, not, right? Like you yeah. it's not awful. Right. We it's not awful. we have in this particular group, we have always gone for plus two and then always succeeded. But there are mechanics for what happens if you don't, right?
0: Yeah. And statistically, right? So, you know, we've talked about this in other Powered by the Apocalypse games, but statistically, right? Plus two is a pretty strong yeah, um, way a to go. It's pretty strong. But it does, <laughs> but it requires, right? Mm-hmm. It requires that you stay in clue acquisition. Long enough, yes, to you know to to be able to um reach that number,
1: yes, and potentially um you may have collected more clues than that because the funny thing about the clues in Brindlewood Bay is they're pretty generalized, right? So we're in something with a prepped mystery like Knight's Black agents, you might get um a clue that is you know, a love letter from this particular person to that particular person who is a loved one, learned soldier or whatever. And like, and it specifically is signed off with their name and all of this information and you see their fingerprints on it or something along those lines, right? Like it has a lot of mm-hmm. information in it and it's very specific. In Brindlewood Bay, you don't get clues of that level of specificity. You get a love letter, Right. And the specifics of that love letter are determined by the characters based on their theorizing. So the GM is never going to tell me this is a love letter from so-and-so to so-and-so. She's going to say, you found a love letter. And then you go, oh, okay, cool. I put that in my pocket. And then we go on, right? Until we sit down to theorize. And then we say, what if this was a love letter from the maid to his wife? And that is Mm -hmm. why now the maid and the wife have conspired to kill the husband because they want to get um you know his his life insurance money and move to um you know, Tahiti and um and live out their 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 lesbian dreams um you know sure maybe <laughs> right um but until we as players have defined that about the love letter there are actually no further defining features about that clue right it is a love letter and it could be a love letter from anyone to anyone, any suspect. We want it to be someone that we make up, whatever it is. Um, and that's something that was actually a really interesting um, thing for us to kind of wrap our heads around to begin with. Because we're like, well, we're solving a mystery like who wrote this love letter. Um, and and Andy, who's currently running the game, would be like, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. You have to figure it out later. Um, so that's that's, again, part of the ad hoc part. All of these clues are so generalized that you can piece them together in many different ways. And part of the act of theorizing is adding the details to the clues yourselves to make them fit together. But like I said, if you collect nine clues and you're like, we just don't know what to do with this bag of weed. It just doesn't make any sense to us. We can't make it fit. Awesome. Awesome. That one was a red herring. You just don't use it. And if you don't use that one, it just means you don't get the bonus for that one, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. So that's Brenda Wood Bay. It is a really cool way to solve the problem, and I think what makes it different is that it solves the problem by removing the predetermined endpoint instead of by solving how you get to the predetermined endpoint. Yep. Um, it does mean that this conversation is slightly different when we talk about it because again, ad hoc versus prepped, right?
0: Yes. Which now gets us back to Paige's original question, yes. which was about railroading.
1: railroading. Please define Clue
0: acquisition. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Clue acquisition and railroading. So let's talk about let's talk about what a a railroad is. Yes. Uh, We have an official misdirected mark um, network uh, definition for this. Right. Railroad is when the character character's agency is curtailed or subverted in a way that all of their actions lead to a predetermined encounter, action or story. The GM actively steers the characters or encounters in such a way to reach this predetermined story. So based on that definition yeah traditional mysteries mm-hmm. can feel like pretty railroady um because you are heading to a predetermined conclusion yes. right there there's there was when you prepped it you determined who the who the killer was and when they get to the end of it they will have discovered the killer yes right yeah and so the clues they need have to be handed out in kind of a way that can feel a little railroady. Yes. Um, that's true. Uh so, so Paige's observation is spot on. Um, it's not exact so it's not exactly a railroad. Um, and we'll talk about ways to make it feel less like a railroad, but it does have a similar set of characteristics because um, what the players are doing is having to basically uncover the foregone story. Yes. Right. The GM already made that story. Now that's different in Brindlewood Bay.
1: Yes. Because again, Brindlewood
0: Bay, right. Brindlewood Bay is the opposite of this. So the easiest first way to say, how do you deal with this without feeling like railroad is potentially to play An ad hoc mystery game. Yes. Where none of this will feel railroading (laughs) because none of it is predetermined.
1: None of it is determined at all. No one knows what's going to happen. GM included. Yes. 100%. Exactly.
0: So if you do an ad hoc mystery, you will, one, absolutely remove any feelings of railroading because it isn't a railroad. There's no foregone conclusion that the players are heading towards. If you are going to do a prepped mystery, then let's talk a little bit about how to make that feel a little less. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to drift a little into the next page of notes. Yeah, I was
1: going to say you need to. Please do. Yep.
0: (laughs) So the way that you handle this is, um, one... Shift away focus from clue acquisition, right? Because clue acquisition at some level has to be a bit railroady because you have to get the you for a prepped mystery, you have to get certain clues into the character's hands, yes. it is unavoidable, right? So, um, make clue acquisition, um, cheap and free. And if you want to really take out, um, the railroady feel of it, do not use a linear path of clues, use a branching path of clues. Um, In fact, the more branches you put in it, the less railroady it'll feel because players will have to make decisions. Remember the way a player knows they're on a railroad is when they make a decision, Doesn't matter. And it doesn't it like they literally get put back onto the rails, Mm -hmm. right? They make a decision to go somewhere off the rails and they're put back on the rails. So if the players are making decisions, like if they find a set of clues at the initial crime scene and then decide which secondary crime scene they want to go to and in which order and all of those things that will not feel like a railroad that feels like making decisions, even though. They're just going along a predetermined branch pattern that you've created where you have sprinkled all your clues. And if they pick a place where they you um, and this happens to me a lot in Knights Black Agents, and this is why I have the what's going on document. If they pick a place that wasn't one of the things you were thinking about, I will sometimes just move a clue from somewhere else in the structure over to the location. Because it's like, well, I thought they were going to go you know, to this place to get the clue, they chose another place that will also net them the same clue. So I'll just slide that clue over Mm -hmm. because it was a decent choice on their part. It made sense and it will get them the same information. Yeah. So you can do that. So again, by um, giving some of those branching choices and clues, you will definitely take away some of that feeling of railroad. It it just helps, right? Because it gives it just gives agency to the players for how they want to um, how they want to go about solving the mystery. So the worst thing you could do is, is use a linear branch, a, a linear path of clues, because it will literally feel like a railroad.
1: Because it kind of is. OK. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the other part is like solving solving the mystery um, doesn't really feel like a railroad because solving the mystery is like now I have all these clues. We all have to sit and talk about how to put them together. Yes. Yes, they're going to lead to a foregone conclusion, but because it's a mystery, we've all accepted that.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? that was the, part, the, of, part the, of what we accepted going in.
0: Exactly. Right. We all know that when we're doing a prepped mystery, that the goal is to actually uncover the thing that, that that's been prepped. Yeah, uh, And then lastly, the taking action part is absolutely a place you can avoid a railroad. Don't. um don't write your mystery in a way that once they've discovered what happens there's only one way to stop the problem right yeah have allow the players to come up with how to stop the problem if the mystery reveals some sort of assassin this assassin's going to like kill a you know person of interest don't don't write the the next part of it being that all the players will have time to do is to run down and jump in front of the bullet, allow them like a whole, like allow them to come up with how they want to stop this assassin. Do they want to go to the person of interest and um, put them in safety and impersonate them? Uh, Do they want to canvas the area looking for where the assassin might strike? Like you have so many, like open that up, just open that up and let them uh, work to come up with their solution, they earned they earned that part by going through and getting to the mystery, right conclude the mystery they're ready to go on to the next part, so let them do that. Mm-hmm. I think if you basically do those things, you will make your prepped mystery feel less railroady, yeah, right, so just to kind of sum that up um, branched clues. Um, give them the latitude to solve the mystery, let them decide how to take action. Yeah. You can't make the putting of a specific clue at a specific place. You can't make that not feel a little railroady because by logic, like the bullet casing has to be where the gun was fired. Yeah. Right. Some clues you will be able to shift around, but some clues you literally are going to have to be like, the core clue is there is a bullet casing on the ground. Here it is.
1: Yes. But, but be, Just, f- be flexible when it doesn't matter. Right. When exactly. like they yes. came up with another location in which it would be perfectly logical and viable to find the Petri dish um, with the, you know, current investigation of how to adjust these blood cells or whatever. Right. They went to a different lab than you expected them to. Awesome. It is still logical that they would find that clue if their chain of logic that took them to the different lab than where you expected is sound., yep. right? Don't punish your players um, for having sound logic that doesn't necessarily take them down the same path that you expected them to go on, right? Agreed.: Yeah, that's totally a thing. i think cool. I think that pretty much wraps us, don't you think?
0: I do. And I just wanted to say, because we, you know, just based on everything you said with Brindlewood Bay, right? Brindlewood Bay is like the ultimate opposite of all of that. Oh, so yes, if you all don't want to do prepped, <laughs> if you want to, if you don't want to do prepped mysteries, do ad hoc mysteries, find a game like Brindlewood Bay. In fact, I think other people are starting to drift um the the Brindlewood Bay mechanics into other things. Like there are it some would, people who are starting to hack it. You could as well.
1: It would shock me if they are not. It is a very brilliant um ad hoc mystery solution, and I really like how it works. Um, the basics of it would be very easy to drift into any number of mystery mystery genres, mm-hmm. like they just would be. Um, they're very straightforward and, you know, powered by the apocalypse. Um, most of the work that you will do is, you know, making those moves really genre emulate. Um, so the basic mechanical ideas would be really easy to drift, and then you would do a lot of work just making sure that the genre is kind of there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I would be shocked if we don't see Brindlewood Bay basically spawn like a whole new, like, set of mystery spinoffs of its own just because it is mm-hmm. such a good ad hoc mystery engine. Absolutely. Yeah. Go play yeah. it. It's great. With that, <laughs> yeah.
0: With that, I feel like we've reached, um, We've reached our wrap up good summary. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hopefully page that provides you some um information and some ideas about ways to uh ways to make your mysteries not feel so railroady. Yeah. Railroady kind of- being an actual word. That's a real word, railroady.
1: <laughs> sure it's is. hyphen y. Oh, Railroad hyphen, hyphen
0: y. y. Railroady. Is it yeah, the railroady. hyphen
1: the hyphen y makes it real?
0: Yeah. Railroady. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. Hey, um in order for us to get to the closing of the show, we need to talk about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Can you tell me about one?
1: Absolutely. Um, on Thacka with Advantage, And and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D. Uh, together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. And they're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it. Uh, maybe you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you will never use, but probably find entertaining.
0: I feel that part about they're gonna talk anyway. you might as well record it also applies to us, right like right. I mean
1: it does and on the one hand, I'm like, I don't know, is that a good thing to put in a blurb like uh we're gonna talk whether you listen to us or not, but on the other hand, I'm like it implies a certain amount of chemistry that I think is a good thing to have on a podcast, so like Agreed. you know. <laughs>
0: We're going to talk too. You might as well record us.
1: Well, you might as well record Anyways. us. <laughs> we got mics. Let's do this thing.
0: <laughs> Alrighty. Cool. Say, so send Where do people find us on the internet?
1: Well, for the moment, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. Um, you can now find Phil and I with our individual accounts, which are the same as our old Twitter accounts at DNA Phil and at Idella Mithland. Good luck. Um, at Dice.Camp, if you want to find us there. Um, I'm still trying to figure out... What to do with a Mastodon? Um, Sometimes it sits on me and I never escape. Um, And occasionally it just screams error and... Um, plus one confusion. Anyway, um, yes. Um, So you can find us there. You can always find us in forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can drop us a a direct email if you prefer, now that everything is going wild, which is panda at misdirectedmark.com. And um, also, of course, you can find us on the Tiki Talkies. Uh, And once they find us in one of those places, Phil, what can they do with that information?
0: Yeah, look, show works one way. We run the show nearly off of... um, trying to help you all enjoy your game mastering more. Uh, So send us your questions, your topics, things you just want to hear us uh, cover, whatever it is. However we can make your GMing more enjoyable, that's what we're here for, right? We are literally the car talk of, uh, (laughs) we are the car talk of um, GMing advice. Tell us what weird noise your campaign's making. We'll help you figure it out.
1: Yes.
0: Um, So anyway, it's really a simple goal here. The more you enjoy GMing, the more you're going to do it. The more that you GM, the more um, you get to play games and the more your players get to play games. And overall, that's just good for everybody. It's good for the industry. It's good for it's good for your players. It's good for you. Um, so we want to make that hobby enjoyable. So let's do it. Send us a thing. We'll help you make it better. Mm-hmm. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. You get access to our Slack Room for Life, which is uh, great. I just love those peeps. Um, That includes a whole bunch of discussions every day, as well as our Friday uh, Slack get together, where those of us who are working remotely uh, pop on the uh, cams and hang out and hang out for a bit on Fridays. We have a a topic each week gaming related topic, but we also, uh, catch up with each other and just, uh, you know, have chit chat as well. Um, you get access to the Misdirected Mark after show. Um, that's just the Misdirected Mark hosts, myself included, um, BSing at the end of an episode, and you get access to the Bamboo Lounge, which is where you and I keep BSing when we're done recording the show. Yes. Um, so if you just really like hearing us and want to hear just a little bit more of us that isn't talking about role-playing stuff. Sometimes we do, but mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to find in the lounge. Um, you can pick that up there. If you are backing our Patreon campaign, thank you very much. You are helping to keep our lights on, our mics running and making all of this possible. So thank you very much. If you are unable to back our pod, uh, our Patreon campaign, we thank, we thank you very much. It is okay. We understand. Um, there is a thing you could do. It's uh Requires a little bit of your time, which we know is precious, but it's a little bit of your time, very helpful for us. Um, it has paid off multiple times, like multiple times people have done this and it has actually resulted in new listeners. Um, so please send a tell us what that thing is.
1: Yeah, you can um, mention us when someone says, I'm looking for a new RPG show. Um, if you feel so inclined and you think that uh, they might enjoy what the kind of stuff that we're chatting about, um, or if they're looking for a nice system agnostic um, running and playing games kind of show, that's us if you tell us. If you tell us about them, no, no. If you tell them about us, um, we really appreciate it. Um, You can also leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice, wherever you'd happen to be uh, catching us. Um, That's kind of the same idea, except you're telling a a bunch of potential strangers um, that maybe they might want to check us out, which we also truly appreciate. Um, So thank you to everyone um, so much who has already left a review. And thank you to everyone who has recently said hey to a friend. And shared our podcast with them. Um, We super appreciate that too. It's super cool of you. And thanks.
0: There we go. Sounds good. Hey, Senda, where are you heading for your next clue?
1: (laughs) The kitchen. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Show me what you got, show me what you got, me what you got, me what you got, me what
0: you got, show me what you got. Click, click. <coughs> Waveform's positive.
1: Yes, waveform positive, good. Boop. Hmm garage
0: band thing just flows smoother than the audacity one like the audacity one rolls along like a like Like a wooden roller coaster thing
1: clonk yep right this
0: thing's just kind of like real smooth as it slides along it's very apple
1: Bloop. i'm just gonna tell you there's a reason so you know I, i i i used to have logic pro right like i but I didn't update that for doing podcast editing in it because it was unnecessary because it could do everything that I wanted to do in GarageBand. And it was like cleaner, simplified and like easier to find everything. So, yeah, like when I was doing my editing, I was doing my editing in GarageBand.
0: Yeah, it's pretty slick. It was,
1: it's, it's a pretty slick little program. It's pretty great. And for like prosumer use. And I will say it like that, right? Because that's me. That defines a lot of my interaction with my computer. For prosumer use, um, it is pretty ideal. It'll take you a long way. And it'll run a lot of the plugins, like the plugins for like logic and stuff. You can run them in (laughs) GarageBand. Like you can do so much. Anyway. Bloop. Apple fangirl aside, clearly I used to work there. Um, Most of the time I let it go, but there are still things that I'm like, no, look at how cool this is.
0: Shit's free, right? Like, it's it's just free. It's It's on your computer.
1: It's just there. You want to make a podcast? Like, okay. You have every tool you need to make a podcast. It's in GarageBand. Bloop. Anyway, we should do uh, the right thing. Let's get Ryan Ryan
0: oriented. Hello, Ryan.
1: Hello, Ryan. Welcome. Welcome velcro uh, harvard you it's been so yes. long since i saw it play all in the timing good play very funny has one of my favorite skits in it nobody ever knows what i'm what talking, are you about talking about when i do see velcro harvard U. no exactly but anyway we're gonna move on from that
0: <laughs> bloop this is we're in that place where I'm grumpy because I've been doing a bunch of things, and you're like extra giddy, which is always to a be weird mix.
1: A little extra.
0: You're trying to be extra giddy to cheer me up, kind of thing. You don't need to. <laughs> it's okay. I'll come around in a minute or two. Don't worry. We're professionals here. I love you, but just all the same, <laughs> no, no, no. just it's, I'm it's trying okay. Trying not
1: to. Okay, anyway, we're gonna do the the Ryan stuff, right? So yes, and here comes our ten seconds of signals. Look, I counted up that time and didn't do awkward pinky things.
0: Yeah. Kind of weirds me out. I don't even look anymore.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Try
0: not to look at you while you're doing that.
1: <laughs> because my hands fail.
0: Okay. I Somewhere you learned to count on your fingers wrong. <laughs>
1: it's
0: okay. Bloop. All right. Um, next up, we Counting. should do our count in. Yeah. One. Two. Three. Four. Good.
1: I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to contain my sneeze because I'm not quite going to sneeze. I'm just going to sit here with the nose doing the sneezy, itchy thing. I'm going to hold the sneeze. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that's everything. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay.
0: Bloop. Or or clue music. Oh, Oh, good Lord. That's very bad. (sighs)
1: It was very, it was very bad.
0: (laughs) You music.
1: (laughs) No, we did. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 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 Actually. Show me what you got. The Bamboo Lounge.
0: (laughs) There we go. Show me what you got. got. (laughs) Show me what you got.
1: Show me what you (gasps) got. (sighs) (gasps) Uh, I'm going to take a minute here and cough. Excuse me.